everybody to the Robert John on the Rec podcast. We're a five-piece rock and roll band from Orange County, California that travels the world eating local foods, drinking local drinks, and melting faces. I'm Steve. I'm Andrew. I'm Henry. I'm Warren. And I'm Robert. And this is episode 75. Damn. Yeah. 75. 75. Man. The important so numbers here. Yeah, last week we had uh, some issues with our streaming service that we use. And uh, it wasn't just us. And I, uh, we got an email from the company that was like, oh, yeah, it was down for like four days. I guess Facebook did an update or something and didn't tell anybody. So that's what that was. But if you want to check out what happened last week, it is up on Spotify podcast and Apple podcasts, as well as on our hosting platform, Podbean. You can go and check that out. All the good stuff. Yep. <laughs> I think it's on Scott Facebook Murphy page, says, I am so high right now. <laughs> Scott's on a good one. Nice. He also said, how was prom, Warren? I thought that was pretty funny. I do look like I like <laughs> just graduated high school. Yeah, how was your prom, Warren? <laughs> My prom? Uh, did you go? Was, yeah, I did. My prom was uh, pretty crazy. I was a rambunctious kid. And... Uh, you know, I think I was sneaking substances into the prom that I wasn't supposed to be. So it was a, it was kind of a crazy t- time. Nice. I'm glad I've grown up. <laughs> nice. So that's, that's for you, Scott. Yeah. That's for you, up. Mr. Murphy. Yeah. Grown yeah. up. I haven't thought about prom in a long time. I think about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's somewhere back about. in those repressed memories. See you later, Henry. Later, Henry. I just Henry got upset. What boutonniere I'm going to get? <laughs> if it's going to match my date's dress. And if you can put it on properly. I was always the one who never wanted to pay for the limo. Like, I thought the limo was weird because we all had cars. And it was like, let's just drive to the high school or whatever. It's like five feet away. And I remember one of the years I was like, I don't really want to pay for the limo. And they were like, all right, I guess we won't do a limo. And then everyone in my group did a limo except me. <laughs> I was like, really? Oh, it was fine. I'm pretty sure I drove my parents' minivan to prom, which was definitely really cool. Yeah, there's all that room in the back for stuff. <laughs> Activities. You know, soccer cleats and... All that high school. I think it was with, like, you know... Baby you seats? Know, six people, so... <laughs> Yeah. They got derailed. We're supposed to be no, talking about prom. You know, yeah, my, no, I never went to a single dance in high school. Really? None never of them? One dance. Never went to a single dance. Yep. Man. Such a rebel. My yep. prom date left with her ex boyfriend. That, that sucks. My senior prom. That was pretty, sh- pretty shit. Yeah. yeah. I saw that happen. I saw a girl do something like that and lose her entire group of friends for the rest of her life. So, yeah, <laughs> like. But- she went and uh, went behind someone's back and got with like some other guy that wasn't her date, and then she, uh, <laughs> no one was ever friends with her again. <laughs> she just show up to things. Everyone, she just had this reputation of a. <laughs> she just had this reputation of a, uh, you know, being like basically excommunicated as the girl who like ruined this guy's prom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was if proms, a big deal. I don't know if proms were my trust issues started, but it definitely didn't help. But I'm sure that girl's <laughs> out there somewhere, still pretty sucky. So the only the only cool part that I can remember is that wore uh, a like a cream ivory suit with with brown checks because my had a brown dress. You would be pretty, that guy. It looked pretty fly. Not gonna <laughs> lie. Pretty fly for a white guy. 
Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> There's oh. a picture of it. We'll we'll post it one day when speaking, we're talking about proms. Speaking of pretty <laughs> yeah. pretty fly, I just got this new uh, standing desk. So I, for those of you that don't know that haven't been to my house before, um, I think I've there's been, a lot of people that I, probably don't know that. Probably, um, I've got. I don't really have a desk. I just kind of use these uh, big lots uh, cube bookshelves and stuff to put my equipment on. And I finally ended up buckling down and bought a standing desk. So I've got my iMac over here in front of me, which I'm, this is the camera. And then now I have this little side desk that I can stand and it houses the mixer and the laptop. And then I put my keyboards behind me. So I, I have this whole like control panel. It feels like a spaceship. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. So that came in the other day. That was really fun. Did you get organized? So yeah. is that how your week was? Uh, that was definitely a highlight. It was cool. I had a, I had a good couple jams with some rad musicians this week and started really hunkering down on the Patreon stuff again. And um, I got a Quest 2, the Oculus. And so I've been using that a little bit, the VR setup. And that's pretty wild. Um, I know Andrew's got one as well, and we haven't played together yet over that, but I'm looking forward to it. After this, we're going to do it after this. Hell yeah. How was Uh, your week, Andrew? It was good. I've started to get a, I haven't made like major music purchases in many a year because I haven't needed to buy like a new drum set. I feel like I maxed out in drum world where I got a lot of the sounds I wanted. And last year was sort of devoted to putting together a rig that I could practice on from home that my neighbors weren't going to kill me for. So I spent a decent amount of money on that. But then I sold a bunch of stuff, too. So that was, like, basically break-even. And I've started again, like, collecting pieces of studio gear. And it's fucking expensive. And it's it's so addictive. It's crazy (laughs) where I'm just like... On eBay at 1 a.m. going, that's a great price for that thing. And it's used. It's never going to be here again. Like, click. And then, like, you know, $700 later, I have another microphone or something like that. So putting together a couple things for rig. Um, yeah, I bought a ton of stuff in the past two months. So it was good. I'm going to have, like, a whole vocal rig and um, everything available to record guitars. Like, I usually record guitars in the studio. Um we used to have to go to a studio to do percussion stuff, and I've been finding stuff to fill those gaps. Because even sometimes when I record percussion, I don't even like how it turns out. So I'm like, if we could just have a shaker to record to instead of me like playing this terrible shaker afterwards, that would probably sound better. Yeah. So I'm finding all these studio pieces again, having fun like building that out. Um, I have gotten like one or two pieces in so far with a bunch that are supposed to show up in the rest of the week. So. Nice. I've been testing some of that stuff out. It sounds really good. Like, nice. um, all the stuff I'm getting is mid-range stuff. It's not like um, the best of the best. And we've been recording at like professional recording studios for like more than ten years now with, with people who have like the best gear. So it's I've been listening to the best gear my whole life, engineering and working at studios and stuff like that. And my God, this stuff sounds amazing. It's really, really impressive for not uh, crazy prices, which is like under $1,000 in the audio world to get something of quality is like a really good price for a microphone or for a preamp or for a compressor or something like that. All the pieces I've got are other under $1,000 and they all sound like phenomenal, like stupid good. So 
I'm excited to like go to everyone's house and work on this kind of stuff. And then I'm making it all portable so we can do these sorts of things. And I'm excited to just like, that means now we could just make more stuff. It'll mean we can make more stuff on the fly or if we want to do stuff like that. So I'm excited to how that all turns out. And then it's cool. Cause it's making me want to like work on music again, which, uh, you know, hasn't been in a lot of, uh, supply these days with the COVID and not having the live shows and stuff like that to push you yeah. forward. So this is a very expensive, but nice uh, way to want to move forward in music. I like Robert, the unboxing video. Oh, did you? Yeah. I like unboxing videos. <laughs> <laughs> I like part of me is like, Oh man, like all the videos I wanted to watch about this stuff don't exist. You know? I was like, where's the video on this thing? Like actually tracking stuff. No one, everyone makes these source videos where they go like, here it is on this and here it is on that. But they're, what they're doing is they have a pre-recorded thing that's mixed and then they run it through it. Okay. So you get to hear what it sounds like, but that's not what it is tracking, you know, it's yeah. different tracking. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. Like what's this thing like with a hundred different microphone options, even the companies that make them don't do that. And I, uh, for people who don't know, I work in like YouTube consulting. So I help companies make YouTube channels and I look at these things and it's like, how much fucking money did you spend making your product perfect? And now like how much time and effort are you spending on showcasing it in a way that makes people want to buy it? Like zero (laughs) compared to this other thing, which is like how much you're obsessed with making these good products. Anyways, the most undervalued piece of gear is this heritage audio, uh, 1073 EQ. It was like incredibly cheap and sounds fucking nominal. I'm really excited to show it to you guys when I get it. And then all you guys at home will hear it on our records and stuff like that. Or as it uh, as we start releasing more small stuff that we're releasing from uh, home, you'll hear some good stuff. So I'm excited. Robert, how was your weekend? Uh, that was good. That was good. Um, I mean, it was not crazy at all. I watched some football with my family uh, on Sunday because uh, <clears throat> there's a couple games that uh, – are important to the outcome of the NFL fans. And I just like watching football with people who are really passionate about it. Cause it makes it more fun. Um, and you know, there's a little money involved, um, a very small amount of money involved, but I, I, I did get to win a little bit. So nice. um, <clears throat> that was a, that was a fun little Sunday and you know, I'm uh, yeah, it's just been a, fun week of uh working on music and i'm doing a little cleanse right now so some uh little dietary switches and 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 just focusing on getting all those toxins out of my body so um and dealing with all the ramifications of that meaning no quesadillas (laughs) which is uh hard and i I have uh haven't been drinking beer for a couple days uh well for i don't know six days so but we'll get to what I'm drinking later. But uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a good week. I I feel great today, more than I have felt in a while. So I'm I'm happy. How about you, Henry? Uh, it was good. Pretty pretty solid week. Uh, did some work this weekend, and now I'm just kind of laying low for the week and hanging out and playing video games and practicing a lot of guitar and working uh, on my Patreon as well. Working on some stuff that I'm going to be putting out on that. Um, yeah. as well, which I'm excited for. 
which also might feature uh, some contributions from Steve, which is exciting. Uh, yeah, just just kind of keeping it low key. Uh, that's about it. Not 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 too much to talk about. How about Warren? Um, I had a pretty busy week. Uh, last week I got to hang out with Zeke and his son Austin, um, which is cool. We got dinner and talked music. Um, his son is a super good guitar player and is getting into recording and stuff. Has a good band called True Blue, I believe. You might want to correct me in the ch- in the chat if I'm wrong, Zeke. But it was cool to hang out with Zeke. Um, and then uh, Thursday, I rode my bike to Angel Stadium, which was like a goal of mine that I've been thinking of. Um, it's like 30 miles round trip, but I did that and uh, kind of felt good that to get out and make sure that all my muscles are working. And then uh, what else? Played some music, uh, played some darts. Steve came over on Thursday and laid some key tracks down on some new music that I've been creating, which is a new thing for me. So um, it's so vibey, dude. It's so vibey and groovy. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to have some new music coming out um, because that's, yeah, I've always been like just like a band guy, not really like just producing and doing my own stuff. So I've been working with a really awesome team. And then, um, oh, and then yesterday I did an escape room for the first time. Um, nice. And it was super, super cool. I don't know why I haven't done one earlier. I had a really good time. We went with Wes and Ariel, uh, friends of the band. And um, it was cool. We did like the Zodiac Killer themed room. And there's all these sorts of puzzles that you have to solve to get into these other rooms and to get out. And we got out of our escape room with three minutes and like 20 seconds left. So um that was really cool. If you guys have never done an escape room and they're, they're COVID friendly right now, they sanitize everything. And I think they only do one session at a time, um, in small groups, but, um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was, it was a cool thing. I don't know if you guys have ever done an escape room, but, um, we should do one as a band. It would be really funny. I've done one before. As long as we can film the whole entire thing. Yeah. That'd actually be hilarious. Yeah. That'd actually be like a really funny video to watch. Yeah. It's like you end up arguing a lot about weird, dumb shit and doing stupid things. Yeah. Uh, I did one in Sacramento, and it was us and, like, this group of 12-year-old girls. This is pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And the 12-year-old girls were, like, much better at thinking outside the box than we were. So, like, they were, like, they knew all the escape room secrets because this is, like, old hat to those 12-year-old <laughs> girls. They do escape rooms all the time. So they were, like, outwitting us on a bunch of shit. Until the end, and, like, we had... It's always fun when you have, like, five minutes left before... Because you really feel the pressure at the last minute. And um, the last thing you had to do was, like, sight-read something on piano. And I was like, come on, you know, six years to eight years of going to music school on and off. Like, you could do this. I know you're a drummer. And it only took me, like, I don't know, maybe eight times to get it right. (laughs) But it's such a good feeling when you like hit that last thing and the door opens or whatever, and you're like, "Fuck, that was so cool!" <laughs> yeah, that's a cool one. That's a cool way to get out of a room. It's scary unless, unless too. You're though. With, unless you're with people who don't know anything about music, and then I don't even know how you would sight read something if you have no idea what music is. So you're fucked. Um, yeah. They had numbers. They like used a number system. Uh, so. 
And it was like really easy. I was just stupid and trying to read it like an idiot instead of just using the numbers. <laughs> You're like, this doesn't yeah, even make any sense. <laughs> I know what it's supposed to say. We should like. do one. Yeah, yeah I was like, yeah. you don't need to comp chords with myself while I play this? <laughs> I can solo over these changes. I think it was like, oh, yeah, great. I think it was like Ode to Joy or something stupid, too, where I was like, I, I probably had to play this as like my final in some beginning piano class or something like that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, well, that was it. Do you want escape rooms make you? Thirsty? Thirsty? <laughs> oh, damn it! I should have trusted you. God damn it. So bad at this. But, but you know what? What makes you more thirsty is doing escape rooms with friends, and especially friends that we might have seen in a while. Oh! <laughs> oh. Look at that transition. Or new friends. Or new friends. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? So, Steve, are you going to let him in, or what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh, I thought I was waiting for an intro. I was waiting for an introduction. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the podcast, our friend Derek Wong, previous bass player of Robert Donald the Wreck, recorded on our very first record, which we pieced together in a bunch of locations. Uh, Fire Started. So if you're lucky enough to get a copy of Fire Started, which, Derek, I don't know if you know this or not, but Fire Started records on Discogs. That we don't own anymore. CDs go for like $40 now. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. People in Europe like think they're the coolest thing in the world. Well, like I I think uh, uh, our friend Parker helps run our Discogs. So yeah. yep. uh, I don't know that many of them sell that much, but like that's the only place you can find that record. So I think people that's who are hilarious. really into the band. That's really funny. Yeah, uh, and, and Parker was the one that, that kind of, took that on himself because he's like hey i think there was like a couple in like this box that i gave him and he's like should we he just like put on discogs to see and he's like dude they sold like do you have any more and i was like yeah i have a pull like all i remember from that was setting that piano on fire do you guys remember that <laughs> yeah we oh, yeah. just posted a picture of that on our instagram did you yeah did we I use remember. like rubbing alcohol too it was we didn't even get gasoline we, we, or anything we we used lighter fluid. Lighter fluid. That's what it was. We <laughs> set the piano on fire and almost died in like a minefield. Uh, that oh was, like, yeah! Forgot about the minefield. Yeah. <laughs> was, Where that was, was that? It was in, out by the Salton Sea. sea. Oh. In uh, kind of by Indio, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Long time ago, man. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Derek Wong. Woo. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, man. And what are you drinking tonight, Derek? Uh, I'm drinking good old fashioned bullet bourbon. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Like solid choice. Just, just went to Costco. Yes. <laughs> Is that the, uh, does Kirkland do something with, with bullet? Or did you just get the actual bullet? They don't. But you know what they do really well is um, they, they do a Kirkland scotch. And mm. you can get a handle of it for eighteen dollars. What? <laughs> wow! And it's not amazing, but it's pretty damn good. That's crazy for eighteen bucks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we've we've talked about it before on here, but the Kirkland brand vodka, like vodka, is Grey Goose, and there's a couple other ones that are actually some pretty good liquors that are yeah, just rebranded. I'm, I'm down. Kirkland. 
Steve, what are you drinking? Tonight, I decided to switch it up. A little bit of a funny story from this. I bought this for uh, my ex-girlfriend's sister for her 21st birthday. And uh, and then when my ex and I stopped being together, I just kind of took it before that. Um, this is McQueen the X part. and the Violent Fog, Violet Fog Gin from Brazil. Wow. And it's hey, a, a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got this really beautiful bottle that's kind of uh, brass and black, uh, kind of embossed crown, and then this really cool vintage-looking logo. Um, 40% ABV. It's from Brazil, and it's got 21 different, like, floral and botanicals and stuff in it. Pretty nice. Wow. And it's tasty. I- it's complex, and it's smooth, and I'm drinking it on the rocks here. So Bruce took a cue from uh, from your normal weekly uh suggestion here so (laughs) so uh i'm not a gin person and i that sounds amazing though obviously like when you have all like really good gin with all these like floral notes and stuff like that that's good it sounds awesome i feel like it's one of the most alcohols if it's not good that tastes like rubbing alcohol to me where it's like sits in the nose a lot Mm -hmm. and uh i remember we do you guys remember going to that gin bar in Estepona? And this is probably just Steve and Robert. Yes, Man. we went and to all a the drinks, gin all the and drinks tonic were made with gin bar that yeah. was like spe- uh, specifically gin and tonics. Oh yeah, and it was run by a English guy because it's a place in Spain in Estepona, but a bunch of English people retire there. So uh, what happened was. We went to this gin and tonic bar, and this is before I like had a real job and real money. I was still pretty broke going on tour. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy you guys a gin and tonic. And we went to this bar, and we got a gin and tonic, and it came out in these goblet glasses. And the, there was a British guy serving it to us, which is pretty impressive in Spain. And we are like, you know, just give us something in like you know the medium range that uh, you like or something like that. And he's like, okay, cool. And so... I think they came back and each gin and tonic something like twenty one dollars. So it was like thirteen bucks for the shot of gin and then like seven dollars for the tonic water. It's like you fucking stupid English piece of shit. Like you swindled me good. And I was like sixty dollars for three gin and tonics. Or I don't even think it was that. I think it was yeah. sixty euro or something like that. So yeah. it was probably seventy dollars. And I was like, oh shit! Like, why did I say I was gonna buy this gin and tonic? That was so stupid. It was really good. We came to Spain it to get away really from good. these LA prices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's like LA prices where you're at a table service or something like that. Yeah. Not some English guy. Anyways, that's what like good gin reminds me of now. Uh, I am drinking Casadoras lime and soda water. Nice. So I just got Solid. a big tequila drink. I'm probably going to get another one right after this. Yeah. Uh, Robert, what are you drinking? Well, I said earlier I'm not doing beer for 15 days, which is also not doing bourbon for 15 days, which is okay with me. Because so sometimes in life you just got to try things out. But... Uh, I'm actually probably not even supposed to drink alcohol, but um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm drinking these uh, Ashland hard seltzers, which I feel like I've had on here or someone's had on here before. Yeah, Um, these have like they have no sugar; they're organic, um, and they're just like a you know like they're the good quality version of you know 
White Claws and Trulies. Um, and they're based out of San Diego. And it, it's almost like a boutique hard seltzer opposed to a hard seltzer that's owned by, you know, and has a bush or something. Yeah. Um, and I and I just think they're great, but you can't find them everywhere. And there's a convenience store in Laguna Beach uh, that now carries them. Nice. So I'm super stoked. Yes. They are way more expensive than um, a 12-pack of White Claw, but um, it's worth it right now. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I drank the lime. The lime's my favorite. And right now I'm drinking the tangerine. Nice. And, uh, they're just, good. you know, they're just, I, I think they're really good and I enjoy them. I was very, and that's what I'm drinking. I was very impressed with how much the tangerine one tasted like a tangerine. It's wild. Yeah. Cause normally like you get like the mango drinks and it's like, well, yeah, it tastes like mango flavoring. You know, it doesn't actually yeah. taste like mango, you know? Yeah. Or, it's, it's crazy. There's still 5% alcohol yeah. in them. And, um, you know, they're, they're even like brewed with alkaline water, you know, like they're, it's, Oh, wow. I consider it one of the, one of the healthiest things I could drink (laughs) for drinking alcohol. Um, I get all my uh, alkaline water from Ashland hard seltzers. (laughs) Yeah. So they're great. So if if you're in the Southern California region um, and you see them, just pick them up, just try them out. If you don't like them, send them to me. Um, If you're not from this region, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, you probably hard to find. So, um, yeah, but, uh, since we're going in like this weird quasi circle, Warren, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a Topo Chico. Um, but I do have a story for everybody. So I have been doing my water challenge, which everybody knows about, and it wasn't that much different. So I did have a couple beers this weekend, which was great. Um, and one of the cool things that I've never done is after the escape room that I was talking about, we were in Fullerton and there was a place where you get like a, a key kind of like thing. And there's a bunch of taps and you serve yourself. Mm. I don't know if you guys have ever been to those sorts of. Breweries. Yeah. So I went yep. there um, and we got a bunch of more beers and then, man, something happened and I got so, so drunk. So like. <laughs> Like, and I had a little, a, a weed gummy, which I never really do edibles and it, which is funny. Cause I, I smoke a lot, but, uh, I never do edibles and I, I think maybe that's what it was, but literally so, like that thing put me on my ass. I literally blacked out. I haven't blacked out in forever. And I got so sick last wow. night and then this morning. And so today was, was pretty, pretty horrible. It was, uh, it was a rough day. Um, it was great to have a beer for a little bit, but I have to make sure that if I stop drinking for two weeks that I don't just like fire it back up. Like <laughs> I've been drinking, you know, like normal. And, uh, and like, you know, they had, I was drinking like they had double IPs there and I think I had one of the triples. So like me just being an idiot, I was getting the heaviest beers. And again, it was nice to have a beer again, but getting that drunk, I hate doing that. I hate doing that. And, uh, Yeah. Uh, but you know it happens, and happens to the best know, of us sometimes. It is what it is. It but it always happens. <laughs> That's why I'm drinking Topo Chico. Sometimes nice. you yeah. can't be in charge of your own consumption, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, but hey, you got to push your limits to to really. Uh, I don't know. See change. where your boundaries are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and yes, funny. I did cut my hair. What's up, Steve? <laughs> and I shaved my face. So. 
I look like I'm 10 years younger. Yeah, Steve Schwartz said, what the hell is Warren using the Babyface app? LOL. <laughs> Me and Steve are both using it. Yeah. yeah I, I used mine for like four days and then uh, started coming back in. The app started slowly fading. Yeah. Regular man app. What are you drinking, Henry? Um, I have something a little different tonight, actually. Um, I think this was a Christmas gift from my dad. Um, this is a Julian hard cider. This is like an apple pie flavor. Um, I think Julian is somewhere down by San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there is, there is, there's a Julian down by San Diego. Yeah. It's like, where um, it's from. Yeah, I believe so. I need to, I'm trying to figure it out by looking at this bottle. I can't really figure it out. Yeah. It's in Julian, California cider bar. Okay, and then it's it does say produced in Freewater, Oregon, which is weird because I know he got this because he went down to San Diego for work. Um, but it is actually uh, I'm not really a hard cider person, but it does actually taste like an apple pie, um, and I'm kind of into it. <laughs> nice, yeah. Put, good. Some, put some yeah. vanilla ice cream in there. Mm-hmm. Is that that's it right there? It's super clear like that. Like, yeah, it's super. It looks oh, weird. Wow. Yeah, you can't even tell. Like it looks like <clears throat> a white wine or something even. It's weird. It's pretty good though. That it's definitely good. like on the sweet side for me, but I'm enjoying it. It feels like uh, the holidays again, you know, very like festive, festive tasting. Kind of has a lot of a lot of flavors going on. There's a little bit of that, little bit of I want to I want to say like a cinnamon thing going on with it, and then obviously it yeah it definitely has like whatever it is about apple pie. That's like an apple pie thing going on, <laughs> which is really good. Uh, and I'm not usually an apple pie person either, but this is pretty good. Right on. Yeah. Cheers. What pie do you like? Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Uh, pumpkin pie and chocolate. Like chocolate pudding pie? Yeah, like chocolate cream. Something that's not too something that's not too like sweet. Something that's not like crazy sweet. Like something like on the milder size, like a chocolate mousse is pretty good. Dude. <laughs> How do you feel about that- banana cream? <clears throat> banana. Banana cream know. is so good. You're crazy. I probably need to have the right. Can we at least get pie? this going on? Right, pie is much better than cake in general. Agreed. Agreed. Except, and, except for cheesecake. Agreed. No, and agreed. Down. Agreed. Is cheesecake a cake, uh, or is cheesecake more? To me, it's more of a pie. I think it's, cheesecake, I think cheesecake is more is, of a pie. It's yeah, more it, of a is. Pie. it is more of a pie. Oh come on! Don't take cheesecake. That's away like from that's me. like that's tomato my, being a fruit. Battle point. You know? <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't classify. I'm more of like a like a straight like 70 percent dark chocolate kind of person when it comes to desserts or like coffee ice cream something involving that in a pie would be amazing here's why cheesecake is a pie number one it has a crust cakes don't have a crust right number two it's filling inside the crust is like a solid filling it's not like a cake where it's spongy and not that every cake has to be like that but it's just more like <laughs> you make a lot of pies like that. So Scott Murphy says it well, literally has cake in its some... name. <laughs> Scott Murphy, we're it's talking about receptacles. Debate. You can't just call something a cake and it's a cake. I can't call something a cherry pie cake and then suddenly it's a cake. Yeah, you have to look at its form factor and decide based on that form factor. Yeah, you know, we we made a good life pie and that just had a bunch of music in it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been good if it was good life cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good life. Cake. It's a, just do good life cake, and it's all covers of cake. Yeah, it's just cake covers. From that would have been so 
bad. Well, here, here, here's here's something to think happen. about. When you when you when you're serving cake, you say, "Would you like a piece?" When you're serving uh, pie, you say, "Would you like a slice?" Like a slice. Yep. So I've do you get piece of pie? Cheesecake. Piece of pie's got the alliteration going on. You know, a piece of cheesecake. Think about that. We also got a piece of cherry yeah. pie. A piece of uh, pie. I don't it's know. The, We're getting the, pretty deep into this. We don't really like to do when I eat pie, though. Piece of conversations we should oh have. yeah there, you're right andrew there's nothing better than that's a great thing eating or drinking kicked. and listening to music <laughs> and uh we have a special tribute tonight um we got the sad news that uh last wednesday that the legendary tim bogert uh passed away he was a super duper epic bass guitarist um originally from New Jersey or, or New York and uh, collaborated frequently with drummer Carmen Appis, which a lot of the drummers might be familiar with. Um, yep. Played in almost Vanilla every Fudge. band with Carmen Appis. Uh, he was in Vanilla Fudge as well as Cactus, who I did do a feature on uh, several months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably my favorite thing that he has collaborated with, he's he's done a bunch of stuff too, but my favorite thing that I've heard that he's done uh, was a super group uh, Beck Bogert and Appis, which is uh, obviously Tim Bogert and Appis and uh, guitar player Jeff Beck. In the early '70s, they put a supergroup together. Um, they were, and they were actually trying to do it earlier, but Jeff Beck got into some sort of an automobile accident and had like a really severe concussion, and then stuff just didn't line up, and so they had to push back the project a couple years. And finally, the three of them initially formed as a new incarnation of Jeff Beck group and then decided to do their own album together. Um, and, and Tim Bogert actually became way more accomplished than that as well. Um, he worked with Bob Weir, uh, you know, they did a vanilla fudge reunion as well. And then he also, uh, was employed by, uh, the musicians Institute in uh, LA and, uh, was part of their faculty at one point. Um, worked with Rick Derringer, uh, bunch of other stuff, done a lot of stuff in Japan, um, unfortunately passed away from cancer uh, January 13th, last Wednesday. So what we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going to listen to a song right now by uh, Beck Bogart and Appis off of their self-titled debut album from 1973. And uh, this song is called Lose Myself With You. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. 
yeah. Fuck yeah. Dude. That was super cool. Yeah, was Dude, I love that. It's like one of the first really overdriven bass sounds where yeah, it's like, so, it's either going through the console or like he's pushing it ahead really hard or something. Yeah, and he was probably like one of the first people along with like maybe Jack Bruce to really sort of aggressively use that sound in the band context to like cut through the mix and and uh you know get the bass guitar a little more a little more uh attention basically and uh, he used to do like a bass solo all the time uh with vanilla fudge and cactus in their live concerts and would just be crazy people would just love it um and yeah he was he was definitely one of the you know early sort of pioneers of of electric bass guitar and um i just don't think He's as uh, as famous as a lot of the other guys, but I think he's equally influential. Derek, what do you think about this? Because secretly, Derek is the Derek grew up on a lot of this shit too. He's right. like a Hendrix Zeppelin guy. Okay. So, uh, what do you think of this? It's very Entwistle to me. Very right. Entwistle and very Jack Bruce to me. It it I sounds like an an SG bass. I don't know. <laughs> it, it it's in that that category for sure. I love it. Yeah, I don't know. It's that classic tone, that cool. like seventies, oh. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's great. Um, that whole record's really really awesome. Um, when I found out he passed away, I, I gave it another listen, and I remember the record being good. And I was like, I do not remember this record being this good. So I highly highly recommend that you. Uh, you check that record out. It's just a self-titled. Uh, it's called Beck, Bogart, and Apis. Uh, it's their their first, uh, and I think it's their only studio album. Actually, they had a live record as well that they did. But um, but yeah, it's called Beck, Bogart, and Apis. And if you get a chance, really do like give it a listen. It's really really cool. Um, and they do a lot of they do some cool covers on there, uh, which we may play one out at the end of the podcast this evening, possibly. Um, but it's really, really cool. Really, really awesome record. Um, and I think just as a, as a power trio, I think just kind of, kind of underrated maybe. Dude, it was so just, thick. Just, you know, yeah. That shit was just really cool. So thick, what what year really did bad. it come out? Uh, it, that record came out in 1973. Wow. It's almost like at the end of this thing. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff that those guys are connected to is almost just like past the wave of it being popular. Right. Because Zeppelin's like 69, 70, 71, mm-hmm. 72. And then you get into their later stuff, which just sounds like super weird, right? Right. And then Cream is like in that era. When does Cream break up? Cream uh, broke up in 68. Yeah. Cream so they're 66 and they're in Beatles territory already, like setting yeah. the groundwork for all this. And right. then everyone mid 70s, this sound starts to die right. out. And you have this shit where we listen to it now and go like, holy fuck, like this is amazing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you're like, when did this come out? And you're like, 74. And you're like, that's exactly why I never no one's just, ever heard of this. It just hits <laughs> the window because everybody was crazy about that shit in like 69 to like 71, maybe. And it just missed the window. And it's like they they did, you know, they did big tours. They played, you know, big theaters and shit like that, but it just it didn't it didn't translate on the level of like a Zeppelin or or Hendrix or Cream or whatever just because it just it just missed the window uh for whatever for one reason or another. And like I said earlier, they were they were planning on doing this stuff much earlier. So it's very possible that this like kind of supergroup could have exploded 
but um, for one reason or another, they had to push their their window uh, to a later date. And uh, just interesting, you know, it's an interesting piece of of history that I, I mean, me personally, I didn't really know about this until I want to say two or three years ago, maybe. Uh, and obviously, being a little bit more familiar with Jeff Beck's solo stuff, but but this like this the the trio thing is just like. I mean, I just love finding out about bands that do this sort of stuff. And uh, and this is another really great album that maybe at the time it, it did relatively well. But I think as time has gone on, it sort of it sort of flew under the radar a little bit more than other stuff. And yeah, I this think is a cool it, hidden gem. I, I'm like a huge cool. uh, Jeff Beck fan in general, especially like right. his current stuff. You watch his yeah. current stuff now and I'm like, you know, flabbergasted. Everyone just calls him the magician of guitar because you just don't. You look at his hands and you go like, "That's not the sound that's supposed to be coming out." He's just like constantly doing stuff with the the whammy bar and like a bunch of other stuff. That's it. Just it, he's done so much work to make it all seem seamless, and mm-hmm. it's really sim- deceptively simple. And then you put like a Vinny and a, a Tal Welkenfield on top of it, and you go, "Holy fuck!" Like what you know? What's happening? <laughs> so yeah. to go, oh, like. You know, Jeff Beck did a record with uh, Vanilla Fudge basically back in the right, day. You're like, right. oh, yeah, I'm totally in. Like, why would I not want to hear that? That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really, really cool record. Uh, really. And it has all those kind of quirky, like, 70s tones all around. Like, there's a lot of sort of distorted fuzz bass. And I know I know, t- uh, Tim Bogart himself were getting into gear more. Um, all the pictures I see of him back in the day, he's playing a P bass. But I don't know what he would have recorded with because I know guys recorded with different stuff than they might have played live with. Because because you got me curious bringing it up, Derek, that I was like, oh, let's see. Like I don't know. Um, so I have no idea. Yeah, I was just thinking about like like the weird Gibson EB threes and uh, whatever else was coming around around that time that could have been you know really pick heavy. Mm-hmm. Were Rickenbackers huge back then? Basses. Chris Squire was using a Rickenbacker bass with Yes. He's using like his white, like the cream colored, like 64, 4001 Rick bass. Um, like, I don't, who, who was using Rick basses? I feel like the guitars yeah. were more popular than the basses, even though. Right. Yeah, totally. Because I'm like the Beatles, but those were guitars. Like, uh, I don't think yeah. Paul ever paid a, played a Rick bass. He did at one point uh, later really? in his career. Like, yeah, in like the psychedelic era, he played a Rick bass. I don't know if it was on any recordings, but I know there's pictures of him playing a, a Rick bass in that era. Um, and then, and then the the first person I think of is is uh, Chris Squire from Yes. Um, played has really played the same Rick bass since like whatever '69 or '70 until he passed away. Must be nice to yeah. not ever, you know, be searching for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, how how old did you say Tom, Tom was when he? Tim, Bo- Tim Bogart? Tim, sorry, Tim. He was 76. Was he gigging all the way up until his death, or did he, did he stop playing before? Uh, it, it says that he reluctantly tired because of a, or retired, reluctantly retired from touring because of a motorcycle accident uh, Oof, in 2010. Uh, um, and then uh, I guess he had sort of quietly been struggling with cancer for the last couple of years, which seems to be happening a lot. With famous people, um, they just Van Halen. Sort, of, sort of quiet about. Yeah, same thing with Eddie Van Halen. Like nobody really had any idea until 
couple weeks before he passed away. Um, so yeah, uh, but was but but he was pretty active up until then, uh, as far as I know. And then the other the other cool thing I heard was uh, was Walter Trout. Um, actually, the reason I know is because uh, Walter Trout posted about it um, the day it happened. And I remembered he told me a story about this group he played in with Tim Bogert and uh, Bill Ward from Black Sabbath. Wow! <laughs> yeah, they had a they had a power trio called Blue Thunder. Apparently, that they did at some point. I don't know exactly when it happened. Um, you probably have to really do a deep dive on the internet to actually find anything. Because I looked it up, and I like, I think I could find like maybe one YouTube video or something like that. But it was like it's like really hard to find. And um, and yeah, he told me a few stories about it. It was really interesting. And um, basically, I guess what happened was they were they were you know being like this like power powerhouse blues trio and you know, they were doing gigs and they're doing this gig this one time. And just in the middle of their set, I guess, Bill Ward just like stopped playing and just got up out of his, you know, drum chair and just walked out and they like never saw him again. <laughs> wow. I've heard a that's, lot of weird things about Bill Ward. Like, yeah, that. <laughs> that's what, that's what Walter told me. So I, I don't know, you know, I don't know the exact details of, it, but I do remember that story from him. Were we in a bar in Seal Beach and met Bill Ward's like personal assistant, Robert? This is like eight years ago. I remember them not. I remember his assistant. We just met some guy at a bar that was Bill Ward's assistant, and he was. Bill Ward was not happy that Black Sabbath was doing their final tour. They didn't even let Bill Ward audition to be on that. I remember the scenario I think you're talking about. I just, I think you were more into that conversation than I might have been. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty young, and we used to drink a lot more back Speaking then. Speaking of how so much we had been you. drinking. <laughs> I, think yeah. I, remember, I think I remember other things from that night, because we don't usually drink in Seal Beach. Um, but we'll let those go. Yeah, I can't talk about those other <laughs> things. I definitely remember those other things I could tell you guys about afterwards, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to talk about Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Move on. But speaking of that, let's talk about you, Derek Wong. Yeah. Let's Uh, uh, let everybody know who Derek Wong is and why he's here. So Uh, we've been friends with Derek longer than the band's been a band. Derek went to school with me and Robert at Citrus College uh, in the early 2000s, I guess mid-2000s. and um, uh, It's late 2000s. Late? Uh, yeah, I don't well, know me, anymore. Me, oh, I didn't graduate high school until I was seven. Oh, that's true. Both so. of you guys are younger than me. Anyways, um, Derek uh, was the... I guess you could... Derek was the original bass player for Robert John the Wreck. If you're going like yep. strictly on um, you know, uh, rules of whoever recorded Facts. it on the first album. <laughs> Fact. Bears... Like honey, I don't know what that. <laughs> white bears. Tigers hate Speak. cinnamon. Speak. <laughs> uh, no, so Derek is the original bass player of Robert John the Wreck, and Derek went on a bunch of our first tours before Robert John. Uh, Derek was the bass player of Robert John's band as well, which was band. what the group was called before it became a band and like an, an, a whole entity. It used to be a solo project, so that was like Robert. And then whatever band was playing at that time, and Derek was also the bass player at that band. So Derek was around for the transition between those two things. 
and then went on a lot of those famous early tours where we were just a bunch of 20-somethings like doing the dumbest shit across the country. Famous tours? Trying to figure out life. They, we, they were fun and, and funny. <laughs> Had a good time. Um. <laughs> and uh, Derek has since gone on to uh, be a professional bass player and um, do tons of cool gigs and uh, play with a lot of amazing artists and record a, a bunch of amazing sessions. So let's talk about... We were talking about something recently. Derek got to play on a pretty cool track recently for one of his friends. Do you know what I'm talking about, Derek? Uh, which one? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't actually mean that that way. Uh, <laughs> you should. I don't know what you're talking about. A track with a pretty famous drummer on it that we might know about. Oh, the uh, the Dyer Jones thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm friends with uh Kenneth Crouch who plays keys with Lenny Kravitz and Eric Clapton and is just kind of a household name wow. in LA. NBD. Uh, <laughs> I met him through uh a band I, I still work with called uh DJ Williams Shots Fired. I um and it's kind of they're this- amazing. I want to talk about them next. That was the next thing I was gonna get to, especially for our audience. They they will know who DJ is like in yeah. two years, you know? Yeah. I've been telling Andrew I would love some kind of a tour or a string of dates together. Uh, I think that would just be a good time. Oh, that'd be uh, amazing. DJ's an amazing guitar player. Uh, he's based in Richmond. Uh, and the way the, the Shots Fired band works is he just kind of has musicians across this, the States, uh, just kind of everywhere. Um, he's been playing with uh, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe for years. So he's wow. just met a lot of a lot of amazing people throughout, and um, and I I was lucky enough to hop on a couple tours with him on the West Coast uh, through the last maybe two or three years, uh, and he brought us over to the East Coast about like, actually exactly a year ago. We were doing an East Coast run, opening up for G Love and Special Sauce. Nice. Um, so that was wow. super fun. Um, so uh, that'd be a really fun collab. Um, but yeah, I got to play on this Christmas track uh, with with Kenneth Crouch, one of DJ's keyboard players, um, with Daru Jones, who I guess was on Jack White's yeah. uh, tour a couple of years ago. And was was that the tour when when Ike passed? Yeah, uh, it was like the Lazaretto, Lazaretto, or whatever that yeah. album was. I'm pretty sure is the when he started doing that. Yeah. R.I.P. too. That yeah. Dude a, yeah. Like Ike legend. Yeah, he hit me up uh, a couple weeks ago, and I got to do a remote recording for for him, and it's going to be on this weird Christmas record with a, a bunch of monsters. And when I saw everything afterwards, I was like, "Holy shit! I'm on the same record <laughs> as as Adam Deitch and a couple of other people." Wow, nice. that's wow. awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's it's awesome. Cold. We're huge fans in the band of like the whole lettuce camp and the whole Wolfpack camp. And yeah. I think that's where we, if we can ever practice hard enough, want to end up, you know, just having this whole sort of platform to launch people and launch whatever the individuals wanted to as well. Cause you know, we just love doing this, which is like talking about it and sharing it with everyone. So, you know, that's awesome that DJ is a part of that community. And, uh, 
God, the videos you've posted of those shows, he just fucking brings it. Like, what a uh, great... He's just... Uh, you guys do mostly instrumental guitar stuff. He sings a little bit too, right? Am I crazy? Yeah, I, I think 70% of our set is instrumental, and he'll sing a little bit. Uh, but he's a great vocalist. Um, and he's he's such a cool band leader. I mean, he's just been doing it for such a long time that he he knows how to captivate an audience and uh it it's just about bringing 110 percent every time to him uh so i have to i have to practice when when we go out on tours i have to i have to really shed uh and there's a lot of spontaneity and uh improvisation happening you know as we go uh so it, it keeps everything really fun and exciting uh kind of everything I look for in uh, an original project, you know, that I would love to be a part of and, and stuff. So it's been a fun couple of years working with him. That's sure. awesome. Um, I feel like we subscribe to the same, uh, like, idea that um, solo sections sort of need to just be as long as they need to be, and you yeah. just leave room for whatever is going to happen. And the way to sort of deal with that is to, like, let it just start somewhere and then you just people just sort of get lost in it like you don't know where you were and then by the end of it it's so intense that you have no idea what's going on anymore you're like holy shit how did this just happen and this is so crazy and it's so intense and then you just have that release when you go back into whatever the chorus is or something like that and every video i've seen of shots fired of you guys playing just has that same quality to it where you're like, holy fuck, like, how did we get here? And then, like, um, God, this is amazing. You know, like, just those two thoughts are what's running through your head, so. Yeah, and, like, just just keeping up with DJ is the hardest thing in the world because he's he's so fucking good, but he knows how to make his solo, you know, so storyteller-like for you know, long, long periods of time. And, you know, being from LA and working with a bunch of, of artists around town and stuff, I feel like there's a, there's a big like pop sensibility where you, you know, you stick to the recording uh, form and you, and you play the recording like it is a lot of the time and you don't really get to branch out that much. Well, DJ is very much like, fuck all that. This is the (laughs) And and I'm going to go as long as I want to, and you better hang or I'm going to fire you. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just just make sure it's good. And it keeps me on my feet a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> what, the beauty of that is when you don't know what's going to happen, the audience doesn't know what's going to happen either. They feel that. There's definitely something there where it's like, um, holy shit, what's going to happen? Yeah. And then as a musician, you're like, I don't know either, man. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I go into a, like I go into a song of that night, thinking like, okay, I have like my ten ideas, and then whatever happens after is like, fuck. All right, we're we're just gonna go. <laughs> and that's what all the practicing is yeah. for. It's basically so we can do that. You know what I mean? Like so we could just be on our toes and yeah. react to the moment. That's what all the practicing is for. Whatever happens on stage is almost just a bonus, yeah. you know? Because we're I mean, we're. Uh, the story is being told as we're going, and it's almost like one of those things where 
um, someone's adding to it at any given moment. So I might be leading like where a dynamic is going as a drummer sometimes, but then Henry does something that throws me off and I'm like, oh fuck, like we're, I guess we're going over here now. And I don't let the fact that whatever I had planned ruin the fact that he has something else planned, you know? And then we go, okay, well, like, let's just concede to that idea because that's not something I would have thought of. And that's cool. And I think audiences, like, really, really respond to that sort of thing, especially when people like you train so hard to be able to, like, keep that together in a really, really musical and really, really high level, you know? Yeah, it, it pushes you, you know, especially when you don't when you don't know what's going to happen next and... You know, you have to come up with the best part you can in that moment. Uh, and, and you're your biggest critic, you know. I, I'm, I'm sure everybody can relate to, like, oh, fuck. I, I, I should have played that part like that. I'll do that next time. <laughs> yeah. Know? But then it's never going to be and, the same again, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 and then, like, the next night we're playing in, like, 3-4 all of a sudden. It's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That, that I had a similar experience when, when I was doing the Mark Broussard West Coast run and he had this medley that like the beginning and the end of the medley were set so that we knew like how we were getting in and where we were going. But there was one night, I think it was at the Fillmore up in San Fran, which was my first show with him. And he was like, oh yeah, so we're going to do this medley, but it's not like any of the other stuff. I'm just going to think of whatever tune and just go into it. So just hang on. DJ, the bass player is going to, you know, give you a heads up on where the brakes are for, you know, different stuff. <laughs> it was so much fun, man. Cause it's just, you, you have to put your ears on and, and as an audience member and even just myself being the first time up on the stage with those guys, it was like, that's never going to be like that again. It's a once, right. once, you know, one time thing, which is so exciting and kind of feels like it's about one step away from completely falling off the rails. That's you totally have to have so that. You exciting. have to have that. Like, I don't feel like there's one time we ever play Cold yeah. Night, and I'm like, like, fuck, like I don't know, you know, what's yeah. gonna happen. And we get to end, the end of it, and I'm not like, you know, confused or like, I never like that feeling of like knowing what's gonna happen because then, then what's the point of telling the story? You know, it's like, what's the point of doing this if you know what? gonna happen on the other end you have to sort of discover it and then you have to discover it with everyone else at the same time and mm -hmm. it just creates this like amazing thing you know yeah you know and and the same sensibilities yeah, I, I think I, uh, george I george long just said it pretty well mm -hmm. so fans don't come to hear the music played perfectly they come to feel something only live fans don't come to hear yeah and god damn it i miss it so fucking much yeah, yeah. <laughs> We talked a lot about COVID on here and just like Probably the worst part about this pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, 2020 sucked for everybody. Um, but my, my birthday last year was one of the most fun shows I'd ever played and, and shots fired played at the mint on my birthday on a really short run. And, uh, Jesus Coombs, uh, lettuce came out and played on my bass. Nice. You know, nice. <laughs> and he, he played a tune that night. And I just remember being like, one of my heroes is on stage playing my <laughs> shit. Right now. That's awesome. That's so cool. And uh, did he leave some of his magic on there? I, I'd, uh, I tried. Yeah, I tried yeah. to get it back. <laughs> it was hard to, to go back on stage after he, he murdered. <laughs> you frame, frame the strings. Well, I'm sure you did great. Yeah. 
dope. Uh, yeah, he's the man. So one of the other fun facts is that me and Derek had played in a band on and off as I was in Robert John uh, for an artist named Mike Pinto. If you ever hear me in, that talking about me being in the reggae scene and playing in a lot of projects, Derek was one of the bass players of my original reggae, reggae project, which was a like this collective of guys we went to school with. And it uh, almost had two members for every position because everyone would constantly be gigging the whole time and then subbing out to something like that. So we would do like a monthly gig or like a bi-monthly one place and one place else. But you would always see like a different face. And then Derek was one of the bass players that was in that band called Bodie Rock. And then out of that came um, a gig for one of our favorite people that we did a couple tours with. His name is Mike Pinto. So um, how is playing reggae? How did you end up? playing reggae and loving that style of music and then um like uh i i don't know that any of that stuff's uh, happening anymore but how was playing the pinto gigs like when those things were happening that was a that was a really fun band and mike is still a really good friend of mine i still love all those guys um you know there's just so much incest in in our particular scene of, of musicians um, you know, the, all the, the horn players were the guys that were in Bodie rock pretty much. Um, and a few of those guys, you know, left to do stuff with, you know, bigger reggae bands like tribal seeds and revolution and things like that. Um, but Mike was a really stand up guy. Uh, his tunes were always really fun to play. Uh, as far as the style goes for me, I, I didn't understand it when I, you know, hopped on. Uh, I feel like I was kind of roped in. And when I really dug into it is when we were working with this, Andrew and I were working with this artist, uh, Ilana Tias, who sang with the Whalers for like 10 years. Um, and he kind of kicked my ass for about nine months. We, we, we would do tours kind of up and down the coast, opening for bigger bands and stuff. And, you know, every night he would just be like, that's not it you know, to me in particular and be like, you know, get that bass right. And, you know, in, in reggae music, the bass is, is everything. Um, I guess bass and drums are, are everything, but in, in reggae music, it's, it's really, really important. And I feel like drum, uh, bass has to work a lot harder than drums. Drums is just like uh, sitting in that groove. Bass is like, you have to put it in the right place. So. Yeah. And, and he taught me a lot about like, you, you, you just didn't do your homework. Like check these records out, you know, uh, check out these steel pulse records, listen to this live, you know, listen to live at the Roxy, Bob Marley, listen to all this iconic shit that I, I just, you know, that went over my head initially. Um, you know, but the more I, I kind of dug into it, the more I realized that it was about communication. It was about space and it was it was about breathing, just like, you know, the, the drum and bass are supposed to, you know, make it feel like a heartbeat, you know, as we go. Um, and once I f- once I kind of figured that out, it was like, holy shit, this is really powerful stuff. Like, this is really important the stuff that I feel like a lot of people don't. You know, or, or people take for granted a lot. You know, when when folks think of reggae music, it's it's like it's the simple shit. It's the same 
it's it's the stuff that sounds the same all the time but i i really fell in love with a lot of those grooves and a lot of those bass players and, and things like that yeah i feel like when i started playing reggae it was like oh yeah all reggae just sounds the same and it's all the same and I, like as i started digging into it, it was like holy fuck like that's not true at all you know what i mean it's like saying all latin music sounds the same or all this sounds the same there's so much depth to it and there's so much music that's been made over so many years and people take that style and crossbreed it with everything else just like every other style of music and you get so many scenes and so much to know about that's happened over you know uh, basically since uh you know, uh, Bob Marley or even before that, like in the fifties, like when the Island music was like a popular style and doing its thing, it's come from like such a long tradition. So rich and so full of like all these other beautiful things that you, you take for granted the bro reggae out of orange County or whatever, (laughs) when, uh, when they go like, Oh yeah, like this is reggae. It's like, no, no, this is like the bastardized, like Taco Bell of reggae, you know? a good way to put it <laughs> yeah. and uh there's nothing wrong with taco bell well, no. i get down on some bean and cheese no. burritos every yeah. once in a while there's yeah i, I listen to those bands sometimes but and maybe like you know our friend micah brown micah was on the podcast uh not so long ago too oh, cool. micah brown and uh uh iration all those boys are like the chipotle of of reggae <laughs> where they're they're good they're amazing you're never gonna get upset but they're not as good as like the like like uh, the old root stuff is like your grandma's home cooking. <laughs> oh my God. It's like when your yeah. grandma makes meatloaf or my grandma isn't a good cook. So it's not a good example for me. No, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest world music genres. Uh, and I, I think it's very overlooked in SoCal because of the sublimes, the, you know, other bands that are in that scene. Um, but you know, don't, don't skip the, the real shit. That's, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, this is fun with one of our fans. One of our fans, Scott says, I'm embarrassingly ignorant of reggae music. Scott, we were too, before we actually had to do the homework, like uh, don't feel embarrassed at all. So this is a fun question, Derek. Have you had to tell people to listen to like three reggae artists to get into a place that they've never been before with it and sort of understand it in a little better way? What would you say? Is that like two or one? What's like one person that people have never heard of that might be good? Man, I, I mean, I Steel Pulse is one of my favorite reggae bands, and I don't, I, I think they're pretty popular in in the sense that people have probably heard the name. But if you dig into maybe the first 10 years of their catalog, it's like heavy shit in there. Um, yeah. Ends with Revolution, that album yeah. is one of my favorites of all time. I, I met uh, their original bass player, their, their bass player for the first five records like 10 oh, years wow. ago. I was lucky enough to uh, bribe him into a lesson. <laughs> um, and he lived in Ontario at the time. And he taught me a lot with, uh, you know, what he had and stuff. And, and I, I learned so much about just phrasing and breathing. Um, and, you know, the more I listen to that style of music, that, that's what it is. It's, you know, with, with the bass, it's, it's phrasing. It's how, how to cut notes off, uh, how to make it feel like you're breathing the whole time. 
Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. I've never heard it like that. And so, yeah, yeah that's my cool. Favorite, my favorite Ronnie story was like his, I showed up to his house and his technique, I remember, was like horrible. His <laughs> hands looked like they were in so much pain from <laughs> playing with bad technique. Uh, that I was just like, what the fuck is this guy going to teach me? You know, I, I I was in like year two of music school and I thought I knew everything. <laughs> uh, and I knew nothing, obviously. Um, but he plugs in and he picks up his bass. He's like a frail old man. And he starts playing this groove, you know, with horrible technique. His wrists were cur- curled in like this. And I was just like, holy shit. This feels so damn good. Like and and that was it. It's not about technique. It's all about feel, you know. And that was a big eye opener for me. What was his uh uh? What did he say about the hands? Oh, <laughs> um, I remember the right hand was like the. I I, I tell the story a lot because I, I I've told it at birthday parties where I've been shit faced a few times. Um, and I, I have a tendency to tell the same story over and over again when people oh. ask me. Um, I remember it like, that. <laughs> it was like the right hand was the note selector. That's what he kept saying. Um, but I can't remember the, the second part. It was the vibe. It was the yeah. note selector and the vibe. I yeah. remember this for the rest <laughs> of my life. I can't. I, I, maybe it was the left hand. Yeah, I think the left hand was the note selector and the right hand was the vibe. That's right. That's right. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. You know, it, it was all about, you know, how to make it feel good. <laughs> I've told that story like 30,000 times at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, now on our podcast, so there's a bunch of people who haven't heard it before. Um, that's a great I, story, man. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Bruce in our chat put uh, Toots. I love Toots. And yeah. Toots did a record with Government Mule. So for people in our scene, there's this record oh, called Dub Side of the Moon yes. <clears throat> that Government Mule did with Toots. That's like rock and roll people playing uh, uh, ska music and stuff like that in Toots catalog. It is badass. So if you want to get into Toots from there, um, that's a good bridge record. Is Dub Side of the Moon by Government Mule. Um, yeah, and then, <clears throat> like, the Marley stuff is super popular, but there's a lot of stuff in the Marley catalog that they don't play on the radio or you've never heard before, you know what I mean? So, like, there was, like, 10 or 15... Oh, oh, this is the big thing, too, right? This is the big thing. So, you, everyone heard the reggae records, and they go, oh, yeah, I know what it is, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, have you heard the live records, though? So... When I it didn't make any sense until I started listening to the live records, and then you get the live records and you're like, oh my god! Like now I get it because it's not just these sounds. Now it's like, okay, actually musicians in a room playing it and how it translates in a live band. And oh my god! It just opened up the world. So there's a live Marley record called Babylon by Bus. That's a really good live record by uh, that band. And then there's Bob Marley Live at the Roxy. And those two records probably changed my life and opened up all the floodgates when it came to, like, what do you do in a live setting to play reggae? And then it being in the room, you know what I mean? Like, not just being a recording. Because some of the recordings can be a little low energy. Mm -hmm. And the live shows are nothing but. Like the the big cliche is everyone goes like, oh, you play reggae. So you start laying back. Right. And it's like, hell no. <laughs> you know, you got to push that train forward. 
that train's moving. This is dance music, you know, like, uh, and just sort of uh, how they like put songs together and how they did a live show. Like their live show was just one of the greatest in the world at that time. So those are two of my favorite records from that era. Yeah, I love Live at the Roxy still. Like I'll listen to the record like tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. <laughs> I probably he did, this, he did the Santa Barbara. At, uh, I think that was like early 70s too, the Santa Barbara one. It came out with a DVD too, and it's awesome. I mean, if you can get those DVDs too to like, like to visually see it, it's like, it's just so unbelievable. Like just the whole, like you were saying, like I think people don't realize like when they go there, or like if you like at a reggae show, it's like no, this is like upbeat. It's almost like it's almost like a gospel in in a certain mm-hmm. sort of sense, and especially when Bob Marley was doing it, and you know you had like the most authentic people up there. And like, you're talking about like bad technique with the bass player. And it's funny because yeah. sometimes you see some of those drummers and the kit, you're like, Oh my what? God. Like how, it's... like the toms are like, right. Like, like yeah. you'd have to hit it. Like, you know, it's like, and they, and so good. <laughs> yeah. They didn't care. They just played the shit out of it. And it yeah. was just like, yeah. Like, Oh, like we didn't know that you could turn your, t- or, you know, it's like, it's all about that feel. Yeah, and I was I was watching uh, an interview with uh, a, a band called Tribal Seeds. A few of our friends are, are in the horn section, and they were working with a, an older Jamaican producer, and he was just talking about how like that's just what you had back in the day, you know this the the piece of shit kit with the toms tilted this way, uh, you know, and the snare head that was broken where you you didn't have a replacement you just had to buy a bunch of cotton balls and duct tape hmm. and make it happen that's what those recordings were you know and and now i feel like everybody's going after sounds like that and and it's it's simpler than we think it's it's just like thinking about the times you know and thinking about you know where you were and and what the the socioeconomical you know background was um and that was really eye opening to me it's just like it, it's not that complicated it's just you know it, everything was really cheap <laughs> and they played I feel the like shit that's out a of lot it. of yeah. stuff what are you gonna say steve sorry I said, and they played the shit out of it like till the yeah. till the wheels fell off man and then some yeah so i love rad. watching those uh, old videos where you just see bob marley's fucking gigantic hair like you know floating around he's sweating his ass off and like you know it's just one of those, like, you know, hot summer nights or something. And he never for a second stops moving, like, the entire show. He's just always going with it. And then the whole band's just, like, moving the whole time. Their, like, segues are really quick. And, yeah, he just does not let up. So, um, yeah, it's just been really cool to discover that style of music and then, like, what comes along with it and the cool, like, it, it, it's almost like cheesy sometimes. Oh, bye, Derek. Hi, Derek. Uh, I did it today too. I think I just do it to everyone at some point. Uh, I'm hey, gonna text him to come back really he's quick, back. and we can probably cut this out of the actual hey. thing. Boom. Hey, D. Is he back in? Yep. Okay, cool. Sorry, I don't know what happened. Oh, no problems. It happens sometimes. Um, fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> Real <laughs> no, life thing. I loved watching all those old videos of those things, too. Those shows were, like, epic, you know? There's a ton of people. There's a ton of energy on stage. There's always background singers. It was, like, a big full band. 
who's a percussionist. I've been to a lot of those reggae festivals and seen those bands play. And I remember, uh, this is no offense, because I think we know a couple people in their scene, but like uh, going to a reggae festival in Long Beach uh, where uh, Derek and a couple friends were playing and just hanging out. And then the headliner was the Dirty Heads, which I love the Dirty Heads records. And their live show was just like a bunch of tracks. And I was like, there is no way that I'm staying for the rest of this because you've you've not given me a reason to stay. You know what I mean? Like now I, I just saw all these masters of this craft, like just destroy it. And watching your tracks on stage is not going to make me want to stay here. And like you're literally uh, phoning it in, too. dude, like you're yeah, press and play. Not so, you know, creating shit. Um, the other part about reggae music is those guys are freaking masters at what they do and creating those grooves and making people move. And the second, you know, uh, oh, the second anyone kind of does that in a way that just like takes away from the musicality and people bringing their emotions on stage, it just totally like kills it for me personally. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, uh, Derek, you. I feel like Henry constantly gets to talk to guitar people about guitars, but I don't get to talk to people about basses. So Derek has like a pretty amazing collection of basses that are probably right next to him. So you don't have to like take them out and show people because that's like a little crazy. That's weird. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the basses uh, that you have in your studio there? Uh, I do like 80% of my stuff with a 73 Fender P bass. Uh, it has flat wounds on it from like five years ago, uh, and it's great. You it, were recommending those flat wounds to me, right? What were they called again? Labellas. And I you said them. that's what they used in the 60s? Yep. Yeah, that's a lot of the... Uh, Jamerson used them. I, I can't remember who else did, but I'm, I'm sure kind of everybody did at that time. Uh, what I like about them is they sound great and feel great right off the bat. Uh, a lot of the times with flat wound strings, they take a minute, a minute being like three to four weeks to really break in to, to feel right. Um, and with the bellas, you put them on and they, they feel and sound great. Yeah. And that bass has that beautiful look to it. Is it the blonde one? The one that's like, yeah. Yeah. And it has like just nice character to it where there's like these nicks and scratches, but in like the most, you know, where you want, where Fender's trying to relic guitars to look like that, you know, and that nice broken in thing and just like, you know, a 50-year-old instrument. It was funny. I, I bought that bass on Reverb maybe uh, six, seven years ago, and it had gotten lost in the postal service. It ended up in San Diego uh, the day it was supposed to, to come to my house. And I remember driving down to San Diego to try to look for it, uh, at a couple of postal uh, services and everybody said we lost it we don't know what to do I'm sorry you know and I, I drove all this way I spent all this money and uh, I get back to my apartment defeated and it's at my front door <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. uh, I mean that's a good ending to that story but like yeah. and, like Every, anybody who's ever ordered anything in the mail knows, like, oh my god, like I can't wait to get that. I couldn't imagine yeah, not the, getting a yeah, base. Not, the not to mention that that's like three hundred and sixty yeah. miles round trip. You know, like yeah, and and it's nuts. it's like my go to instrument. Like it, it's my identity now. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. You know, if if that actually gotten lost and everything, it, I'd be 
kind of a different person <laughs> a little bit <laughs> you know um do you have any other cool stuff in your collection you want to talk about you have the um, sg base right i have an ebo uh and that's like like reggae central that's that's kind of all it does really well Does it, uh, it has like sub and then this weird mid-range that what reggae needs like you need that top but like not all bases do that thing in the same way what do you like about that for reggae so the the ebos were uh the sg base with the with just the neck pickup and the the neck pickup was uh, essentially deemed the mud bucker for for everybody because it was just like a muddy piece of shit that just wasn't really that great. Um, overdriven sounds amazing and everything, but I remember picking it up uh, at a shop in Venice and plugging it through my rig, and I I remember like everything would just clip, like there was nothing about it that was uh you know a steady signal. Uh, or a normal signal. I think the coil was just wound really, really hot. Um, so, you know, I, and you don't get a, a lot of definition out of it either. You know, I, I kind of use flat wounds for a lot of stuff, maybe like 70% of, of most of my my recording. Um, and it, it stays out of the way enough, um, but kind of gives it the the, just that overdriven effect, like, I'm thinking like, I don't know, a Vox amp at 11 or, you know, something like that, where it's just, you know, a tad uh, crunchier than than you would want. Um, Did, so I've used it on like a handful of Bodhi Rock things and, and stuff, but it, it's not super versatile. It's just fun for things like that. Yeah, it's one of those character bases. You're talking about almost overdrives like in the bass, like there's a yeah. distortion pedal built into that pickup or something. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, and it just sounds like, you know, but that's, I guess, like back to what we were talking about when you had that reggae sound and they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. So they probably just like cranked up that preamp or something on a bass. You got that like nice overdriven sound that we know to love, mm-hmm. but, you know, they didn't do it on purpose. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bunch of kids with a laptop trying to record something. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's cool. Uh. Um, and what else? What's your next? What's your what's your next favorite? One more one more bass to talk about. I have a little Mustang bass. That's oh, I remember that thing, the small scale one, right? Yeah, that's amazing, and that, that's actually what I used to do that track uh, with Diary Jones. Nice, um, you know, and I ran that through like an octave pedal, and it sounded you know massive, but it it does the P bass thing. Uh, you know, I, I flat wounds on it as well. Same set of flats. Um, but it's it's just like a hair brighter than than my 70 73 p bass. Um, so if I, I need that you know extra edge of top end, I'll I'll use that instead. And it, it comes through really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It's like an interesting piece. I remember when you first got it and played it, it was like how like interesting. Like it's probably got like a touch less low end and a touch more top than the P, but still like, you know has this like whole different thing to it, you know? Yeah, and like through a sound system, it's, you know, anything goes. Exactly. Yeah, but the, the character still comes across really nice. It's funny that you say that you used an octave pedal with it because it's like you would want if you used an octave pedal to not have all that sub because the signal going in needs to have a ton of 
Now I'm fucking nerding out. I make fun of all these guys all the time about nerding out when Henry talks guitars with like one of our guests. I yeah, want you guys I, to wrangle me back. Yeah, that's why I'm like trying to week, go like fun talking about gear. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm learning. I pretend I know what I'm talking about, but I just know. know how it feels in my feet on the stage when you get that <laughs> that low rumble and it's just like it it vibrates your entire skeleton, man. It's that's that that bass cab on stage left. Yeah, it is. the uh, eight by ten. The eight by ten is still yeah, a uh, champion. <laughs> oh, did you know? Uh, uh, Derek Warren and uh, Steve have matching tattoos. Did you know that? Oh, do you? Get- they both yeah, say oh, stage nice. left. Stage left. That's de- so. They're Warren, always on stage you could, left you could get one with I've us, given, man. I should. I, yeah. I've, I've given Steve so many concussions in our first couple <laughs> years. <laughs> that was one of the reasons I had to grow my fro out was just to you know absorb some of the impact from Derek's, Derek's headstock. Because <laughs> a lot of our a lot of the stages we were playing were so really tiny. small. So <laughs> tiny. And, and Derek moves just a just lot when he's playing. It. Yeah. And I was moving yeah. a lot too. I was doing a lot of back and forth and everything. And yeah, constantly just bumping into each other. Steve in the head. Like, <laughs> you know. Is, Steve, is that when you had the MIDI keyboard too? And you yep. were like, yeah. Oh, my, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had my, my laptop running main stage for all the, uh, all the keyboard sounds. Oh, like four of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the laptop took a spill. The keyboards used to break and we just used to leave them places and, Stands My falling. favorite is Steve used to, to get the protection from Guitar Center for the keyboards. Mm-hmm. So he'd basically like pay an extra $100 of insurance because he knew he was just going to break it in like three months. And then we would just go get a new one at Guitar Center again. Yeah. He would basically like like in pay between for the gigs. insurance again. <laughs> it was like, like getting close- a 50% discount yeah. on every keyboard that he got. It was the closest thing to doing like a subscription-based keyboard <laughs> you know, service <laughs> thing before that was a thing. Disposable keyboards. Yeah, pretty much. Was, I mean, there's a lot of those keyboards like sitting on bar walls. Like, yep. These days with our signatures on them. I can't remember like all exactly over Nebraska are, and man. Iowa and Illinois and Mississippi. Got a lot of them took a shit. And they're like only whatever, like a couple hundred bucks, like 150 bucks or something. Yeah. So, and that was for the 88 key even... that I was taking out on the road. Good times. Those were some fun times. We didn't even get to talk about any of that, which is okay, Derek, because you can come back to the podcast whenever you want. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We'll have to do part two. Yeah, man. Yeah. I want to hear some of those old road stories. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty ridiculous. We've told some of them on the podcast already, but it's it's weird if you weren't there to understand how intense <laughs> some of it was. <laughs> Or ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, or like, oh my god, like we were just so young and so stupid. Like, I, I can't believe we did something like that. So, <laughs> anyways, Derek, thanks for being on. Yeah, uh, yeah. me, boys. Thank you. Bro. Go listen to yeah. Shots Fired. Go listen to Mike Pinto. Uh, what was the keyboard player's name again? I'm sorry. Uh, Kenneth Crouch. Kenneth Crouch's uh, record will probably be out soon, or did it come out already? I I'm think sorry. It comes out late January. It's I think okay. It's Cosmic Celestial Christmas. Nice. <laughs> Which sounds nice. amazing. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, Derek shows up on a lot of projects, so you're going to want to follow him. Uh, your Instagram handle is dwongbase, correct? Yep. And then I had to, I had to fit this in because, yeah, uh, Derek <laughs> now has an Instagram for his incredibly cute dog. He has a corgi that is the cutest thing in the world, and uh, corgi Instagrams uh, 
can make more money than music sometimes. So no, <laughs> I think it's just the cuteness more factor. There you I know. am. Uh, but if you want to go follow his incredibly cute Corgi, which is totally worth it, I follow it. Uh, a lot of our friends follow it. It's Mango dot the dot Corgo with an O at the end. Uh, at Mango dot the dot Corgo. And you can see it on the screen there. So go follow Mango the dog. We love Mango. Mango the COVID pup. And all Mango the COVID pup. And all the links are going to be down below. I posted a lot in the comments for all you Facebook folk. And uh, for those of you listening to us on Spotify podcasts and Apple podcasts, uh, just click the links in the description below to uh, listen to music from Shots Fired, Kenneth Crouch, Steel Pulse, Dub Side of the Moon. And check out if you're a bass player or just want to know more about the La Bella flat one strings, as well as Henry's history I ordered, and playlist and I, all that good stuff. I ordered a pair of the, a set of those strings. Andrew Andrew sent me the uh, the link for them, and I was like, oh, I, I got to try them. I've never tried labels before, so I'm super excited. Question: Do you do the, do you do the uh, deep talking bass or the low tension flats? Deep talking bass. Yeah. Forty five nice. to one hundred five. Make sure you get one hundred five e string. Okay. That's yeah. That's um, this will be awesome. I feel like Warren and Derek are almost the same person now that they have glasses. So eventually we need to get you guys to meet each other in real life. I know. Because we, we didn't that this is my first week with glasses. I'm going to put them side like, by side here. Oh, there you go. New. I, I failed my DMV eye exam last week, and they were like, oh, you're, you're blind. So. Nice. Well, you just call them racist and then ran out of the room. That seems to be working for a lot of stuff these days. <laughs> Should try wearing them well. Wear them well. You got to check out Warby Parker's. That's what I got. Good to know. I know nothing, so I'll, yeah. I'll need some help. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> well, cool. What do we got going on? Seventies um, band tee is still yeah. in in play, right? Yep. New shirt design. We got some other new things in the Pipeworks for merch, and we have some new, some new, older content that we are kind of gonna re bring back. Some cool things that we've done on the road in the past. Um, so if you guys like those acoustic videos that we uploaded, the Million Dollar Baby cover is still on our Instagram. If you want to go check that out, there and, it is. Um, there you go. We have Boom. a couple uh, other ones. Oh, is that what I said? I don't even notice yeah. that I say it. I say boomer. What's my catchphrase? Oh, no, no. You said million dollar baby again. Oh, million dollar bill. Yeah. Sorry. Million dollar <laughs> okay. bill. Million dollar baby's a boxing movie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we we have a bunch of stuff coming up. New merch, new, new content. Um, you know, we're working on new music. Just trying to, you know, keep the ball going and doing, you know, getting ready to start hopefully play shows soon 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 fingers crossed so stay stay updated stay on that email list instagram facebook all that sort of stuff yeah and thanks for tuning in everybody yeah yeah, yeah thanks for hanging out derek thanks yeah. for being here again thanks yeah thank you. you but before uh, we go henry oh yeah just uh you know just stay safe and be good to each other and Get wrecked and all that good stuff. And uh, to close us out, uh, we have our our tribute to the Almighty Tim Bogert. This song is a cover of "Superstition" by Stevie Wonder off the Beck Bogert and Apis record. We hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you next time. See you guys. See everybody. See you, Derek. <laughs>